part of it's the choice, right? It's like dating. You're going to be with this person for multiple years, usually, working with them often on a daily basis. And so really choosing a relationship that's going to work so that you can come in and feel like you can, as a client, say, hey, I don't know why you're doing that and feel like you can get an answer that you trust. On this edition of Ebb and Flow, we speak with two accomplished architects about their fascinating, complex, and essential profession. Wheezy Smith and Jen Duhamel both attended the same storied architecture school in New Haven, Connecticut, but then took very different paths on their way to successful careers on opposite coasts, one working independently and the other with an established firm. In a captivating conversation, Smith and Duhamel share their perspective on what first drove them to architecture, what advice they'd give those considering this career, the influences in their work, the dynamics of good and bad client relationships, and how the design process and industry as a whole has evolved over time. And because I couldn't resist, I asked our guests to name their favorite three architects of all time. The answers may surprise you. In full disclosure, our guests are friends and former classmates of your host's architect wife, and I know you'll enjoy meeting them today. On behalf of UBS Long River Wealth Management and my partners Tom Lips, Andrew Worthington, Ashley Martella, and Paula Rose, welcome to this most recent edition of Ebb and Flow. Weezy Smith, Jen Duhamel, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast this time. We're really excited to talk with you both about your fascinating vocation and, and really get into the field of architecture here through your respective lenses. And let's just start with you know what I'll call the, the origin stories, if you will. So put another way, I'm wondering how each of you got into or onto your respective paths to becoming architects. Was it a childhood dream, a specific inspiration, a building you saw once, following in the family footsteps? Tell us about how this happened, and maybe, Weezy, I'll start with you. Okay. I wish I could say it was some magnificent building that caught my eye and made me think, oh, I want to design that. But no, I grew up with a father who was an architect and a mother who was an architectural photographer, so... There were four kids in our family, and clearly one of us had to become an architect. But seriously, architecture for me, when I sort of came upon it in my mid-20s, was kind of the marriage of both sides of the brain. And I feel like I've always liked math, and I've always been pretty decent at writing. I was an English major, but I also loved studio art, and I was never like a the best artist, but I always enjoyed it. So I felt like architecture kind of pulled those things together in like a really sort of exciting, fun way. Jen, what about you? Well, I did not have anyone in my family who was an architect and I didn't know anyone who was an architect growing up. I always kind of liked space, but I didn't really know that at the time. My family, my father's a child psychologist. And so I was actually really interested in just how do I, I didn't want to be a psychologist, but I wanted to figure out how to kind of work with people and help people have better lives. And that began out of college. I got a job in advertising, which is not necessarily helping people have better lives, but it was really exciting. I got to travel around and talk to people about who they were and what they did. And I worked sort of in the strategy department. That took me to New York City, as one does when one is in advertising in their 20s. I then met a bunch of really interesting people, a few of whom were architects, and began to feel like, hey, you know, I learned all this interesting stuff about people all day long, but I'd really love to use that to design better space for them, something that's really permanent, something that affects their lives on a daily basis. 
And I thought I could really kind of take that psychology and put it to good use. And so that's what drew me into architecture. And, you know, it's interesting. I feel like my early years of architecture didn't really use that psychology quite as much. There were smaller projects. And now in the work that I do currently, I use that all the time. So there's a lot more sort of getting to understand people and psychology and how space shapes people's lives and work. Yeah, I can imagine, especially as you get sort of more experienced, more senior, and you're, you're more sort of the front person in the client mm-hmm. relationship. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Jen, let me stick with you. And I've heard from my architect wife in your architecture school classmate about sort of the grueling but wonderful environment of architecture school. And I wonder if you would talk about that educational experience and, and how it shaped and influenced you. Sure. I mean, you know, it was really interesting that so we all went to Yale for architecture school. And what I found, at least in graduate school for architecture, is that the ethos of the school really differs between these different schools. And what drew me to Yale in particular at the time, and this varies, you know, as a dean moves in and out of the school, was just how much the school placed on dialogue between architects. So they would bring bringing in Frank Gehry and Zaha Hadid and Glenn Merkett, who's this like guy who only does architecture in Australia, to have conversations that were sort of this wide ranging and really interesting debates sometimes about architecture and what it means. And so to me, when I think about my school experience, my graduate school experience, I think about having sort of learned how to how to navigate what are oftentimes complex conversations about something that's hard to define about preferences and style and what those things mean to other people and how to really work together with people who have similar interests to you in terms of architecture and design, but who also have very different ways of working and ideas. So speaking of different ways of working and ideas and possibly also perceptions of school, Weezy, I'm curious if you had the same experience at Yale. And as a follow-up, maybe what advice would you give to someone considering architecture school today? I felt like, I mean, I guess I'll talk a little bit more about the role sort of architecture school played in my life at that time in my life. And it was all immersive. And I think that it was challenging at first. You know, it was challenging to leave behind this life that you had before and go into a new space with all these people that are all doing the same thing. And literally, you do not have a finger on the pulse of anything outside of this little community. Mm. And it was also probably one of the most important times in my life. And I definitely met the most important people in my life besides family. And so for that, I think architecture school was amazing. You know, it was, I agree with Jen, like, it was so exciting to be part of these conversations in the studio or in, you know, lectures or in the classroom. And it was also so much fun to be with these people whose friends who like saw the world in similar way and were curious. You know, all of a sudden I had people that I could talk to about things besides like the stupid stuff that you talk to your friends about in your early 20s, you know? <laughs> like you're actually having like interesting conversations about things that are important to everyone in the room. In terms of what I would say to someone interested in architecture school, and I'm sure Jen and Julia and I have all spoken to people who were debating going to architecture school. I mean, I would say you have to be ready to give up your other life for a while. You have to be ready <laughs> totally. to 
break up with your boyfriend, except for Jen, and, you know, or marry your boyfriend. Like, you have to just push, or girlfriend, or whatever, you have to push it all away for three years, or two years, or whatever it ends up being for you, because it is truly, you're all in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and just for the record, I have been part of stupid conversations with friends in our 40s, so it's not just exclusive to the decade of the 20s, for what it's worth. Weezy, sticking with you for a moment, I'm going to fast forward to present day. And, you know, I've observed that you have opted to build your own business as opposed to being part of a firm. I'm wondering if you could tell us about that decision. How did it evolve? And what is appealing and or challenging about working independently? So during architecture school, I worked in the summer for a woman in Cambridge and she had a small firm that she ran out, out of her house and she was solo. And I basically helped her out. I'm not sure how much I helped, but I shadowed her for that summer and she had a child and a life. And it was really amazing to see the balance she had. And I thought that's what I want. Like I want to be able to have like a life, and still be able to like, you know, have my job and still be able to run out and grab my kids from school or, and, you know, achieve a similar balance. I also, just as importantly, if not more, like I like to take on all the different parts of a project. So I, at a firm, especially when I was younger, I was kind of put in a little, one little part of a project. And I like to meet with the clients. I like to design. I like to source materials, do the documents, construction administration, and have the face-to-face time with the builders. And, you know, having your own firm, you have to do all those things. And I think that those relationships, the relationships with the clients and the relationships with the builders are what makes it fun for me. Interesting. I want to talk more about that sort of multifaceted aspect of being an architect and get into that a little bit more. But first, Jen, I'm curious now to get your perspective sort of on the opposite side of the coin where you actually were working independently and then opted to join a firm. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about sort of how that experience differs from being independent and and how you came to that decision. Yeah. I just always love working with lots of people. It's just a kind of like slight difference there from Weezy. Like I think I like when I worked in advertising, I loved going into the office and having all these people around. And, mm-hmm. and I just get a lot of my inspiration out of that. And so when I first began working, I worked in firms. And I actually never thought I'd start my own business, but I worked for 15 years on my own. And then we moved back here to Seattle, which is where I am now. And work just started falling in my lap. And I was like, oh, you know, some of my other friends like Weezy and other people are doing, you know, they're, they're having their own firm. Maybe I should just try this out and see how it goes. I really also, to to Izzy's point, like really love controlling everything, you know, <laughs> really knowing knowing everything that was going on and having that sort of relationship with the builder that's specifically mine. And But I also just really missed being around lots and lots of people. I kind of felt like, oof, I just needed more of that interpersonal stimulation to kind of keep me excited. I also wanted to work on slightly larger scale projects. You know, there's a point at which you need more than one or two people to execute an architectural project. Sometimes you can have teams of 30, 40 people. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to work on some of that kind of larger scale work. But then kind of coming back to it, after that experience of having my own firm and coming into a firm, I also come, get, was able to come in at a higher level, which was always useful. So I can sort of still play that 
directorial role right. on a project, but I do really miss those day-to-day, like, oh, I could get in there and draw drawings and kind of really see the whole picture. But yeah. Interesting. And let's jump to sort of this, what Weezy brought up before about sort of all the different parts of the job. And, and Jen, you also just sort of back this up. But, you know, I'll admit that until I met my wife, your friend Julia, and watched her working in this field day to day, I guess that I, I never really, I guess I could say I had a very narrow impression of what architects do. I sort of thought they drew a house at a drafting table and then moved moved along. But, but really, there are so many parts to your job. And, and I'm always amazed by the diversity of skill, not only to conceive and design a structure, but then to plan for every detail inside and out, the you know, inside the walls and out, manage clients, manage construction administration, project manage, budget, all, and I could go on and on. So two questions here. First, how do you do it all? <laughs> and two, do you find yourself preferring one piece of the project to another? And Weezy, why don't we start with you? Well, I don't do it all well always. <laughs> That's for sure. I do feel like it can feel quite sort of schizophrenic sometimes where you're like, oh, my God, I got to work on this drawing. I need two hours to work on this drawing. But then these emails are coming in from a project that's under construction. I have to be answering those questions. And then at the same time, I need to put the spreadsheet together for the materials. It is a bit of a balancing act. You kind of get it done. I mean, it's kind of I think women are good multitaskers. I agree. (laughs) That's my takeaway. I think in terms of like the parts of the project, I mean, I, I mentioned that I, I like a lot of it. I think, you know, the most fun, I think it's schematic design is sort of the early threading, which I don't even think threading is a word, but we use it, of ideas on paper before coming up with a chosen design. I mean, it's like, it's a blast. You know, it's probably like when someone's writing a book and they're trying to come up with ideas for their book and they're just spinning through different concepts and ideas and the blast. And I also love problem solving in the field with contractors. You know, I do some detailing for projects, but I also do a fair amount of decision making in the field. So I'll, you know, I'll go on site with a contractor and figure out a detail or figure out what do we do? There's this in this existing house, there's a, you know, there's a waste pipe coming down in a place that we didn't think it was like, but we had the woodburning stove there, like, you know, and I think it's fun. So, so Jen, you know, I have a few more questions and we don't have too, too much time. So I'm going to ask for sort of a succinct answer to to this one from your side, but anything to expand on on what Weezy just said about the many parts of this job of yours? I guess I'd just say, I think that it's learned when you're a young architect, you come in and your tasks with sort of specific elements. And I think there's something really important about that as you grow as an architect is seeing all of these different phases of work and participating in them kind of fully. And then as you become more of a leader or start your own firm, you can really begin to expand and you begin to understand kind of where your where your skill sets are at. Can you do it all? Do you need to focus? Do you specialize? And then from my perspective, I really love the conversations that go into the early projects. So I really love bringing different client groups together. So we work on a lot of interdisciplinary buildings at universities, or for example, I'm working on a project at our local zoo where we're, you know, bringing in animal keepers and people who take care of the fish. And, you know, it's that kind of group conversation to me is really inspiring and fun to move through the project. Well, we could have a whole podcast on the zoo project, I suspect, so maybe down the road, but I don't want to get you guys in trouble with your clients, but I would love to hear from you both about sort of this dynamic between architect and client 
and you know this is a hard answer I think because you know there's so many different clients so many different projects but what makes a successful client relationship generally and when do they go wrong and maybe Jen I'll stick with you to, to start well, I think it probably depends in large part on the type of project and residential is very different from commercial, which is very different from institutional, but, you know, the clients come in with varying levels of experience with building and kind of figuring that out right off the bat is important as an architect to figure that out about a client. And I think it's also really important that clients recognize where they don't know what they don't know, right? And okay. can come in saying, you know, having chosen Part of it's the choice, right? It's like dating. You're going to be with this person for multiple years, usually, working with them often on a daily basis. And so really choosing a relationship that's going to work so that you can come in and feel like you can, as a client, say, hey, I don't know why you're doing that and feel like you can get an answer that you trust. And similarly, as an architect, you want to feel the same way that you can come to your client and say, hey, listen, you know, we talked about X, Y, and Z. Can we think about this in a different way and have that client not feel defensive or worried or anxious, but to just really have that feeling of partnership on a project. And by the way, I always say this to my wife that, you know, it's very, very similar to my job (laughs) in wealth management where, you know, when you're you're figuring out if you're going to work with a client and they're with you, it's the same level of comfort that you're looking for. In our case, for generations, even not not even just years. But Weezy, same question to you. And, you know, sir, what are your observations about good and bad client relationships? I'm sort of piggybacking on Jen's answer. Obviously, trust is the most important thing. It's cliche, but it's um, I think that clients who have like a healthy level of trust in the architect will also have an interest in pushing the project further and asking the important questions are, you know, the ones that are going to, you know, make a better project, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that if a client is always sort of second guessing or in residential, you get a lot of people saying, well, my friend said that this would be an interesting thing to do, or my friend said that you can't use that material in that way. It feels demeaning and it feels like they're not actually trusting you as in the way that they should as they, since they hired you. You know, and then also just as the architect, allowing your clients to ask important questions and allowing them to catch you if maybe something is missing or something isn't being thoughtful to something important, like not feeling like they're not trusting you right. saying, oh, okay, that makes sense. Let's look further into this. Yep. So not being defensive in a way sometimes too when, when the client is... Not being defensive. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So I'm going to ask you both maybe a predictable and certainly an obnoxious cliche question now and ask you each to name your top three architects of all time and you're only allowed one sentence to <laughs> say why for each. So jump ball, who wants to go first? Weezy and I might have similar people. I'm just actually very curious. Okay, first is Glenn Merkett. And my sentence is Australian who works by himself and focuses on the intricacies of place. (laughs) Okay, that's number one. So number two is Peter Zumser. And I would describe his work as subtle, very sensual, a lot of touch and visual interest, and very calming calming work. And then the third I would say is actually, I guess I would say, you know, I guess this is a different kind of comment, but we often, when, when people ask this question, you know, you kind of come to this, a one person, a name comes to mind and you speak that one name. But I think one of the things that I've learned over the years in architecture is that a lot of work, great work is done by groups of people and you can't really put a name on that group. Maybe it's got a firm name, 
mm-hmm. associated with it. But like, for example, there's a firm called Henning Larson, which is a pretty big international firm. And Henning Larson was a man who passed away many years ago, but the firm has really still to this day doing this amazing work that's varied and different from what it was before, but is this really um, detail-oriented and craft-oriented, but on a really large scale, which is hard to do. And so I really appreciate that. All right. So I'm going to take some points away for that last one because that was more than one sentence, but I'm going to give them back because your second architect was a Swiss (laughs) architect, Peter Zumtor. And we work, of course, for a Swiss bank. So well done there. Wheezy, on to you, your top three and one sentence for each. All right. I'm going to start with a woman, Marianne Thompson, who I look at a lot for inspiration because the way that she relates her buildings to her natural surroundings or the natural surroundings is wonderful. That was really hard to say that in one sentence. (laughs) I mean, I have to, again, piggyback. Glenn Merkitt, environmental function over form, but the forms are still beautiful and simple. And lastly, Louis Kahn. I mean, how can you not love his projects? I love that he wasn't prolific, but for every project he did, there was a richness due to material to use, and he very intelligently organized the plans, and his spaces were almost spiritual. And for anyone who hasn't seen the movie My Architect, you can learn more about that complicated (laughs) Mm -hmm. man and his work. So the interesting answers from you both there, and you mentioned, you know, mostly men, I will note, but also women architects. And it prompts me to ask you maybe another cliche, but I think an important question about your experience as women in what was for a very long time a male-dominated profession, perhaps still is. What has been your experience as women in architecture? And do you feel that that experience is different than it would have been, say, 5, 10, 15 years ago? Jen, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's changed a lot since we even started in the profession. You can sort of feel that kind of palpable change from, I guess I would say, especially in the field with builders. I think it's really, there are more women in construction. And you know, architecture has historically been this sort of almost construction. When I have to say, like, what profession am I on, like, drop-down menus for various things, you know, it'll lump us into construction will be the only thing I can choose that makes any sense. And that's, I think, as more women have been out in the field and kind of participating in the building of things, that truly has translated back into the office as well in terms of that sort of trust that women, yeah, we can learn this stuff and we can have interesting ways to build things too and we can come up with those same ideas. And I think that's been a shift. I, I also say, I think... Women, we do, as we mentioned earlier, we, we really are great multitaskers. And I think I even see that in our firm. I love all the men in our firm, but I do find that, you know, the women in the firm tend to be really great at organizing these big, complex questions and projects and design thinking sessions in a way that I think really benefits everyone at the firm and, and every designer. And I think it's that these kinds of things have become more of the norm and are leading to women taking more more leadership roles at firms and, and pushing forward. It's still a hard profession for women, though. We do give birth to children, and that can really take a toll on your profession as it can in many other professions as well. So sure. you have to balance this life together. Wheezy? I think for the most part, you know, if I'm speaking from my experience as having my own firm and working mostly with, like, clients and builders and not really other 
I don't have a unit of bosses right now, et cetera. I guess I feel like the general contractors I've worked with have been incredibly respectful and have acknowledged the importance of an architect role in the project more and more as I've worked on projects over the years. I feel like often, you know, eight years ago, a lot of contractors would say, oh, I don't really, I don't need an architect for this project. I'm noticing in Cambridge where I work that a lot of builders are really happy to have an architect and they don't really care if it's a man or a, man or a woman. You know, they don't to be sort of tested by having a woman, you know, in the field. And, you know, I imagine there are more female architects running firms working on smaller scale projects. So I think builders in general, you know, at my scale of work, you know, are getting used to working with women and having to defer to us, you know, on certain things and collaborate with us. And I haven't found it to be like a big issue. Yet, at the same time, I will say that I have had several projects where, you know, contractors have thought I was an interior designer or clients have, even some of my clients are like, oh, like, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like how you're a woman, you're a nurse, not a doctor. And I'm not saying that a nurse is better than a doctor or interior designer, but I just think it's funny that they just sort of expect that that's the category you would be in. Right. You know, I think it's just like things have gotten better, but it's always like a few steps forward and, you know, a yeah. step back yeah. Yeah. over and over. <laughs> Well, we could talk about that for much longer as well, but we're coming down to um, the end of our time. And so I'm just going to ask one final question. And again, sort of probably too broad and, and difficult to answer, but I'm wondering if you can talk about how you see architecture evolving into the future. What will be different? Will it be the same? And will this fascinating profession, what will it look like in 20 years? You know, I'm thinking back into something that Jen said earlier about sort of architects versus larger firms with a lot of people collaborating to make amazing projects. I sort of feel like as there are more challenges in our world, which I think the last few years have really proven to us that things things are pretty complicated, that these kind of multidisciplinary larger firms with a lot of different people bringing important things to the table will maybe gain traction over the architects. And I still think that these, you know, ego architects are important and I still love some of their work, but I think that the collaboration overall is kind of where things are headed. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I'll say is that I think architecture is reactive and, you know, our physical environment is going to force architects to dig deeper to find solutions for rising sea levels, extremely hot climates, et cetera, et cetera. And, Hopefully these challenges will make for some great, great buildings. Who knows? I think you're probably right. Jen, last word to you. Uh, yeah, well, I guess uh, I would 100% agree with Weezy. I think the collaboration side of this is really, it's exciting to be a part of an industry that is really just so, it recognizes that it's intertwined with so many other professions and industries. And so to be able to begin to bring all of these different industries and ideas together is really exciting. And I think technology is going to be an interesting thing to watch. You know, we have some projects at our firm where people are designing using parametric modeling, for example. Hmm. So you end up with these forms that you couldn't really have thought of in your own brain. Perhaps you could have, but, you know, it's, it's sort of helping to kind of shape this different way of looking at the world, whether that's good or not good, I don't know, remains to be seen. But I hope that that 
the sort of collaborativeness of the profession and these new technological advances and how we design and how we get ideas out to builders so that they can figure out how to even build that thing, that that, that all kind of comes together in one nice little bow. I feel like I just lost a bet with myself because I was sure one of you would say that most architects would be designing within the metaverse, but apparently not. Um, so, <laughs> but in all seriousness, oh, I want to I want to thank you both. You're you're both so talented and do such beautiful work, and it's a privilege to speak with such accomplished professionals in this really uh, wondering a uh, wonderful and interesting field. So, thanks again, and uh, we look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. 